Hello and welcome to the Hard Yard Rugby League Podcast, brought to you by RugbyLeagueCoach.com.au, your elite rugby league coach online. Control your own future in the game. This podcast is dedicated to those who do the hard yards in the game of rugby league, namely the fans who work hard all week to pay their way to games, the coaches who look after our teams and the volunteers, officials and administrators and without them there would be no game. Welcome, I'm your host Lee Addison and this is a podcast for you wherever you are in the rugby league world. We are your advocate, we are your supporter. We are your voice and we will always tell it as we see it. And where appropriate, we will pull no punches. We're very excited about this podcast at rugbyleaguecoach.com.au trying to put something back into those who do the hard yards in the game of rugby league. We're aiming to put it out weekly at the start of each week. One week will be dedicated to those in the, the Heartland areas of Rugby League, we're going to call it our Heartland edition. That'll be focused on the game in Australia, New Zealand and the UK. The following week will be all about our emerging nations and we've got regular guests lined up for each type of show. You, the listener, can feature in any episode you wish. If it interests you, contact us through the website rugbyleaguecoach.com.au or email admin at rugbyleaguecoach.com.au dot com dot au our facebook and our instagram sites are named simply at rugby league coach if you want to find us at twitter it's at rl coach on the net we will use these avenues to give you news of upcoming podcasts and and to try and communicate with you think of it like a chat show for rugby league but not just rugby league people who are involved in the in the grassroots of rugby league all around the world those who do the hard yards we want to be your voice like we said in the opener so, without further ado, let's get straight into it with our opening comments. A 19-year-old by the name of Ronaldo Mulatalo recently made his debut for the Cronulla Sharks NRL side against the Brisbane Broncos. Why is this important and why did I take interest in this? Well, I was his coach at school for over three years. Ronaldo and his whole family moved over to Brisbane, Australia, from Auckland, New Zealand in October 2013. That family included his parents and four children, of which Ronaldo was one. They moved to Australia for a better life. (laughs) Imagine that, eh? For those who don't know, Australia tends to be a lot warmer than New Zealand and there can be many more job and, and career opportunities, according to stats, for those who go across a ditch from New Zealand to Australia. It's a well-worn path and since 1973 and the Trans-Tasman Travel Arrangement, which allows free movement and work rights, it's become even more commonplace. I highlight Ronaldo's case because it's, it's quite high profile at the minute, but also he and his brother, who's also at the Cronulla Sharks, um, came over and were afforded opportunities by coming to Australia. There's 15 NRL clubs in Australia, there's one in New Zealand. And they were lucky that they came when they did, because they came when they were so young. And also, if they'd have come any later, the rules would have changed regards something called development fees. 
to put that into simple terms, what development fees are, are transfer fees um, when a player moves from, say, Auckland to Brisbane or from one suburb in Australia to another. According to the Country Rugby League, uh, in a statement on their website dated the 21st of February 2019, development fees are a, quote, nationally endorsed and supported policy. It states that these are supported by the CRL, Country Rugby League, New South Wales Rugby League, Queensland Rugby League and affiliated states, the National Rugby League and its participating clubs. So that also includes the, the New Zealand Warriors. It goes on to state on this website that Country Rugby League does not receive any of the money provided from player development fees. All development fees are distributed to the respective junior clubs and leagues at the rate of 80% to the club and 20% to the league. Uh, they state that they believe development fees provide fair compensation to junior clubs and leagues for the development investment of a player and encourage the continuance of that investment by recruitment clubs. This is a key line in the, in the, in the statement. Development fees aim to discourage recruitment clubs from stockpiling players. And then another key line in this statement are that player development fees have been in place since the 1990s. Those last two lines to me promote the chance for further discussion. First of all, um, in terms of it being in place since the 1990s, there's a lot changed since the 1990s. We're in a different world now. People are consumers. The public are consumers and before a player is contracted to an NRL club or a Queensland Cup club or a New South Wales club, he is a consumer. Or she is a consumer choosing a club, and the clubs are the providers. Uh, if you like, they are the they are the shop window, uh, and the consumer is looking in that shop window. People want to choose the best life, so they might move from. For, for those who aren't familiar with with parts of Australia, uh, say if you're in Western Sydney or Western Brisbane, where a lot of rugby league is played, you're quite you're a good hour away from the beach, and a lot of people like to move closer to the beach for obvious reasons. If you do that and you're a rugby league player, you could, and you go quite well and you play representative football, you could be uh, liable to uh, incur a development fee. So if a player leaves the Parramatta district in Sydney, for example, and goes to Manly because his family moved jobs, and maybe his mum or his dad have got a new job on the coast at Manly, that could incur a development fee for Manly if he then goes on to play for the rep side at, at Manly Sea Eagles. I was made aware of some cases, uh, well, I'm constantly made aware, to be honest, but there's, there's, there's some cases that stick in my mind. There's a big group of players who moved over from New Zealand and went to live in a Queensland city for a short time and re ended up representing that, that area at Rugby League. We'll call that Club 1. Uh, they then switched to another suburb of Queensland to play at Club 2 uh, because they weren't happy with the standard of coaching at Club 1 and didn't think they were getting fair opportunities. Yet the original club, or its jurisdiction, Club One, slapped a $2,000 development fee on one particular player. And I'm not sure of the exact cost for the other players, but I know all four were subject to a development fee. The player who got the $2,000 bounty on his head was 17 years old. The other player Of the other players involved, they had to sit out for a full year because the, the, the new club, Club Two, wasn't willing to pay the development fee. And the players themselves and their families didn't have the money to pay the development fee. So they had to sit out football for a whole year. How can that be good for anyone? If you look at any sort of uh, text around sports science, 
be it online or in a journal or in a book, you would know that a 17, 18, 19-year-old sitting out football for one year uh, through a, a bureaucratic force rather than through an injury is so detrimental to their development. I believe that it's incumbent on each club to provide a better coaching product, a supportive and welfare network to each player in the care, rather than to kick up a stink when a player leaves. As I've already said, it's an integral time in a player's development, so uh, players are being forced to sit out if they can't afford these fees or if the club don't want to pay the fees. And I know of one player who turned away from the game, probably because he was fed up of squabbling adults. Kids, in particular, aren't commodities. They're consumers, and until they're professionally contracted to a club, uh, when it then becomes a place of work, they need a freedom of right. Surely there's a restraint of, uh, of trade issue or something like that. Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm no legal expert, but surely there's something in, in legislation that would stop that if somebody were to challenge this. Also, the way the money is divvied up. There's obviously other factors. Schools, parents, grandparents, family friends, aunties and uncles, they all have an impact on a player's life and to say that the club itself or the region itself is solely responsible isn't um, isn't making uh, any kind of support network for those other people those other groups that, that, that support that player I encourage every parent to read the fine print of what their kids are signing when they sign to a rugby league club because a lot of the parents that I'm aware of have been shocked by this and one parent even went to the press. So read the five print. I also want to hear from parents and players who who have been involved in this. Players, if you're over 18, I don't want anybody under 18 um, without the permission of a parent talking on here. But anybody who's been through this and can talk for themselves as adults, I want to hear from you. Let me know what your experience is like with this. I also want to get somebody from the Games Administration in Australia or New Zealand to talk about this. And you've certainly not heard the last about this. If I mentioned Ronaldo Rolatalo and Lorenzo Mulatalo at the start of the, of the comment piece, imagine their progress was stopped. People are moving now. So clubs aren't like they were 30, 40 years ago where you stayed in your town, you stayed in your city and you just played for your local team. And if you didn't get picked, you didn't get picked. People can now go on the internet, they can search for what they want and they can try better products. Not only that, they can hear from people in different areas about, you know, this club's better than that club, blah, blah, blah. Surely we can't stop their movement and surely it's incumbent on clubs to provide a better product. This is something we're going to continue to talk about in the weeks ahead. Don't worry, folks, this podcast isn't all going to be about Lee Addison's political grabs for rugby league. Um, and I don't want to come across all cynical. There's going to be as much positive as there is questioning on this podcast because we're here for those who are doing the hard yards in the world of rugby league. Now we're going to go into the interviews. We're looking around the world of rugby league. Next week, in our next podcast, we're looking at the emerging nations. This week, we're looking at the heartlands and it'll go in alternate weeks. Today... When you listen to this podcast, you're going to hear from our New Zealand reporter, Mike Cudd, and our Australian reporter, Anthony Bomber-Breeze. What we're also going to do is talk to a lady who's involved in coaching rugby league, in girls' rugby league, that is, in Queensland. 
and some issues around there. And we also have a regular coaching issues discussion with our regular contributor, Steve Peoples, who's an experienced coach from the Queensland Cup realm, uh, Redcliffe Dolphins and East Tigers. So, our first guest, we're going across the ditch from Australia to New Zealand. This man has got a coaching CV longer than the M62 motorway in England and any of the motorways in Australia or New Zealand. So I'm on the line now with our New Zealand correspondent, a man who's coached more teams than I've had hot dinners, Mike Cud. How are you, Mike? Uh, well, thanks, Lee. How's yourself, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I was going to read your CV out, your coaching CV, oh. but honestly... Yeah, honestly, fun, honestly, my podcast would need to last for three hours, and and some of that is because all the names of the teams that you coach are so long, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. hard to pronounce. No, you've you've been around the traps, mate, haven't you? You've been a very experienced coach, and you're still working full time in the game. Yeah, yeah, loving it too. Love the development side of it. Uh, what what's happened in your working week this week? Uh, at the moment, we've been oh, just been at, at a lot of schools doing a lot of tasters for the youth. Um, getting prepped for a development conference for the New Zealand Rugby League Development Officers this weekend. Where does that um, take place, mate? Uh, development conference. Yeah, I'm off to Wellington on Saturday and come back to the Big Smoke on uh, Monday. So yeah, just, just, uh, just, yeah. So for those in England and Australia who don't know, you're, when you talk the Big Smoke, you mean Auckland, don't you? Where you live? Yeah, Auckland, not Wellington. Yeah, that's the windy yeah. city. Windy Wellington. Yeah. Um, um, so there's a big development conference there. So you work for count, the counties region, don't you? Can you explain that to people who, who might not know what that means? Yeah, well, New Zealand's made up of seven zones. So the seven zones of the New Zealand Rugby League. And so I, I run counties Monaco, which is probably the, the smallest geographical area, but the largest population. So, yeah. Um, yeah, South Auckland's got a lot of potential with its football players. So you're a, you're a, you're a busy boy, basically. Oh, incredibly! Yes. <laughs> One day how, many play, how many players have you seen come through the ranks over the years, and who'd be the, some of the best? Oh, you know, dozens of them. I mean, originally I would have been working with guys like, um, you know, Monty Beeson and, and those oh. fellows when they were young. Um, yeah, our, our Auckland reps back then. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty well, you, tough. You, you 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 have a th- over the coming weeks you have a you have a think of some of the names that you've coached and tell some stories because people all around the world will be will be keen to hear those the the key the couple of the key things I want to talk about I've been talking to uh, listeners earlier on in the podcast about development fees um, and it's my understanding that now that the Auckland Rugby League sometimes charges teams in Australia development fees for for players that head over. Is that is that true? Um, sort of. I just, just when you say Auckland Rugby League, I'm not sure it's them that charge it. I think it's New Zealand Rugby League. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to an Auckland club. Auckland yeah. Rugby League run our uh, our region uh, of the game. Yeah. Um, whereas counties is a zone. So when you're talking about Auckland Rugby League, I don't think they actually charge the fee. I think it goes back to New Zealand Rugby that, League. That's an important distinction to make, isn't it? And yeah. My apologies. And, and my, no, no, My Auckland. apologies to the Auckland Rugby League. But I know the fee does go back to an Auckland club generally or the yeah, club yeah, play yeah. from. Do you get much kickback from parents or carers or players when that happens or, or is it quite well established? Um, no, I think it's sort of fairly new. Um, I, I mean, a year ago, agents were coming over, grabbing kids and whipping them off and, um, yeah, and smiling, rubbing their hands. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's an excessive cost, although I don't know exactly what it is. 
I um, think it. I think it varies depending on the amount of time they're spent in it. Yeah, and, and I think it only applies if you've actually been through the rep programs and. Um, That's right. You know, um, of That's sort right. of. Well, Mike, give it a couple of years, and you'll be getting complaints over your desk, no doubt. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to get across to people who listen to the podcast is the amount of talent in New Zealand in Auckland, in Wellington, and in, and in satellite places and around those two cities in particular. Down in... Obviously, New Zealand is a huge rugby union nation, but, you know, if there's one sport that's quite closely tied with rugby union, it's rugby league, and, and athletes, players jump across both codes sometimes, don't they? Oh, um... yeah, they do. We just don't kick and clip. <laughs> but the other thing is there's only one NRL club in New Zealand, so... There's actually a bit of a logjam, and then you get a lot of players, don't you, who move over from New Zealand to pursue to pursue avenues in Australia. And I think um, uh, sometimes the New Zealand authorities try and stop that. But I also know that there's a lot of realists over there who do like to see their players go over to Australia because there's there's one NRL club in New Zealand and 15 in Australia. Yeah, and and that's, you're exactly right there. It's like the Warriors can't sign everybody. Um, that's right, and so the opportunity of the, the you know the pool of talent that's over here, uh, a lot of kids do head for Aussie. That's part of my job is preparing guys for the next level. Um, some go on to the Warriors or, or the Kiwis. Some yeah. do get picked up by agents at our national tournaments. Um, quite a few actually, um, and and get whisked over over there. Uh, can be a little bit of a culture shock for the boys. So part of the preparation yes. to do is is. Giving them, you know, an overview of what the experience in Australia is going to be like. Um, yeah. The first thing they're not used to is the pace of the game. Mm, definitely, definitely. And then the heat. You know, I'm talking about the Kiwi kids as they can hit, mate. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, something I'm always working on is upskilling them. You know, we could play a little bit smarter and a little bit more skillful. Um, the, the game in New Zealand is very similar to the game in England in many ways and how it's played and and the sort of approach to it. Where it's different is in the amount of talent uh, yeah. and, the, and the type of talent. Um, oh. Tell me this, tell me this, what's going to be on the table at the conference this weekend? Um, well, it's a little bit of a, a new get-together, or it's been a while. Um, so I, I guess really just feeding off each other as to uh, best practices as to how to run your, um, you know, your zone. Um, okay. Everything's sort of... Unlike Aussie, we don't have lots of sports academies, so every region representative players don't go through that. They they come through us. Yeah, uh, our positions are funded, so we've got to keep the numbers up. Yeah, uh, which means that you can work pretty hard um, for the love of the game, although you're getting paid for it. Uh, <laughs> Is that not everyone? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But um, you really got to apply yourself because it's um, yeah to to get good coverage for your zone. Um, you've got to be really keen about your job because you're really pushed to the limits to get results. Um, and that's not from the, the sort of structure of the administrators expecting results. It's just your own genuine, like you said, the, the talents that much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're pushed to get, get to it all. Um, but, yeah, we certainly make a, a decent effort. Uh, any given year, I'd, I'd probably be producing out of counties um, 15... 15-year-olds, and, and then same with the 17-year-olds that go on, you know, are on their elite pathways. Yeah. Um, I really like working with that, the next cab off the rank who, who just about makes it, needs yeah. a little bit of tweaking, um, and, you know, 
do a bit of work with them as, as great teachers. The cream will always rise to the top, won't it? So. Of course. Well, what we'll do over the next few weeks on the podcast, we'll talk every fortnight, Mike, um, on the on the Heartlands edition of the of the Hard Yard Rugby League podcast. In the in two weeks' time, you give us a bit more of an overview of that system, and maybe give us a bit of a debrief from your your weekend conference, if that's okay. And share yeah, no, I'm, I'm really practice. looking forward to it. Uh, a big thing that's growing at the moment is the girl the girls' game. We've introduced uh, yes. 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s in Auckland. Um, okay. And it's just going off, you know. Yeah. Talented girls playing the game now. Good on them, and um, and let's hope that the NRL keeps up with it and makes pathways for them as well. Mike, I'm going to have to cut you short. No worries, mate. You, you, you and I could talk for hours about rugby league, so what yeah. we'll do is we'll do that, but we'll do it every fortnight and space it out so that we've got plenty to talk to the listeners. You take care. You look after yourself and your family, and enjoy your football for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, likewise, mate. Keep doing what take you're care. doing. Take care. Cheers. That was a great chat with Mike and we'll be plenty more of them, don't you worry. What I'm trying to do is educate everybody who's in Australia who doesn't know anything about New Zealand. I'm going to try and educate people in Australia and around the world who don't know about New Zealand Rugby League. Likewise, not everybody knows about the lower echelons of Australian Rugby League. And my next guest um, has been around the game in those lower echelons up in Queensland for a long time and has got a great hold on what goes on all around Australia. Strangely, though, Despite being a, an Ipswich Rugby League board member and a Queenslander through and through, he supports Liverpool FC from Northern England in English soccer and he supports Parramatta from Sydney in the NRL. How are you, Anthony Bomber Breeze? Oh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, mate. And thanks for agreeing to do this on the uh, um, Hard Yards Rugby League podcast. Um we won't talk about Liverpool and Manchester City. Me being a Man City fan, top of the league and all that right now. But um, what um, we will <laughs> one slip up will, and we're gone. What what I am what I am keen to hear about before we sort of go into the lower the lower leagues in in different parts of the country is you went to the New Bank West Stadium last week, didn't you, to watch the Parramatta Eels and West Tigers open the stadium? What were your thoughts on the new ground? Oh, look, like I've got a pretty high membership down there, being a big um, Eels fan over the years, but it's the, it's the, the best stadium I've been to. I've been to Ellen Road, I've been on the 9090 Kangaroo Tour, and I've, I've been nearly all the grounds in in Australia, but facility-wise, it is unbelievable. That's yeah. awesome. So, so, so it's obviously going to be a big plus for the Eels going forward there. Well, obviously, after a poor year last year, we've had a better year this year, and obviously the stadium and the fans being so close to the ground is going to be um, a big plus for them. Now, what, one thing I've always thought about the Parramatta Club traditionally before they opened the Bank West Stadium is the old stadium was always a big part of the community and grand finals and things like that were played. And talking about community rugby league, I mean, right now you're stood at one of the biggest rugby league clubs in Queensland, actually, that's that's sort of below Queensland Cup. Uh, you're, you're at the Brothers Rugby League Club in Ipswich, aren't you, where where you are uh, a member on the board and, and uh, commentary and... Uh, uh, just a, a personality around the area, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm with uh, Rugby League Ipswich now, and obviously encompasses um all our teams here in in Ipswich, up to the country area, up to Fassafern, down to Goodner that way, and then um all the all the city teams there. Yeah, I do a fair bit of um commentary for um all all the clubs around here when needed. And that's I mean, a... the, you know, you're, you're one of the reasons I ask you on this podcast is you're one of those who really has a grip on 
on what's going on below the NRL level as much as the NRL level. So can you paint the picture for for anybody who's listening who's not in Australia, sort of the standard of somewhere like Rugby League Ipswich? So Rugby League in Ipswich, how many teams, how many get paid? Do they get paid? Um, can you try and put that into some kind of context for listeners? Yeah, well, obviously, the Rugby League Ipswich competition, it, it encompasses seven A-grade sides. Um in the area, we we have the Brothers Club, which is obviously it's one of the biggest clubs here in the Ipswich area. There, it's got a brilliant leagues club, the, the best in Ipswich there. And then you've got Goodna, which is down towards the Brisbane area. Then we got Swifts, Red Bank, North West End. Like a lot of these clubs are a hundred years old, just over a hundred wow. years old. Swifts this year is their hundredth year, and that's the fourth club to be around for for a hundred years. So, so they got seven seven teams in the competition, and obviously a few of these players are affiliated. With the Ipswich Jets, which is obviously the the next level up, which in the interest competition before you move up to obviously the NRL level, is um I mean you said some of these clubs are a hundred years. I mean how many how many clubs would they have been twenty, thirty, forty years ago? Have most of them survived? Uh, well, well, a lot of the clubs. When I say that, some of them obviously when no competition for a while and some of them like Goodner they had 100 years a couple of years ago they were out of the competition for about 20 years but they reformed and all that there West End missed a few years Brothers had theirs a couple of years and Swift so I don't think any clubs actually been 100 years um, con- consecutively they've changed names a few of the clubs from obviously the early days to, to what they become now so um, one of the one of the things I noticed uh, moving to Australia, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually uh, English born and bred. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one of the things I noticed is that areas such as Ipswich, Brisbane, Wollongong down in New South Wales, Newcastle uh, in particular, those clubs in those areas used to be the big fish in those areas. So, for example, uh, in the Illawarra. Um, your Coromals, your Wests and the like, they were the big teams and people used to go and watch them in their droves until the Illawarra Steelers came into the competition. And obviously, um, the similar kind of things happened in areas of Brisbane when the Broncos came in. H- have you have you been around enough to sort of know what impact that's had on those clubs? I mean, I know in Ipswich, for example, the crowds are still quite significant, aren't they? Yeah, the, the crowds obviously from... Years ago, it's nothing like years ago, but I think that's just commonplace across all sports and um, everything in the Ipswich area. Like back in them days, there um, the the Jets only come into the competition in the eighties, so they were yeah they were the team, but the team was picked from all Ipswich players from all around these sides that I just mentioned. Now they're basically a standalone club where they represent the Ipswich region, but they obviously buy players in from from different parts of Queensland and. Um, all around the place, so, so. Um, I mean, I mean, people in England wouldn't quite understand. I mean, um, the the kind of club that you're at tonight doing this podcast um, would be classed as an amateur club in England, and nobody'd be getting paid. But you know, most of the players will be getting paid there, won't they? Uh, well, 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 brothers. Look, like I mentioned earlier, they're the they're the biggest club around. They've paid their players all the time here, and they've been the biggest paid players. They're like, yes. we've got we've got a bit of a salary cap here, which is obviously we don't we can't police like the NRL, but it's only it's it's two hundred dollars a game. But a lot of these players here also get sign on money as well. So yeah, a couple of yeah, yeah. sign on and looked after. So you say it's amateur, but some of them <laughs> get some get some pretty good money. 
Now, uh, on this podcast, we're actually t- been talking a little bit about development fees, and there's definitely, a, and, and this will be my last question, I'll let you go after this, but um, I don't want to ask you about development fees, but I want you to talk about something that's quite equivalent in your competition, which is, has been the point system over the last few years. To keep the competition even, you have a point system in that competition, don't you? Yes, we do. Um, we, it was introduced a couple of years ago, obviously to, to negate some of the bigger clubs just just buying premierships, just buying all, all the big players. They had the money so they could get all the players. So we introduced a comp where you only had 100 points and 100 points was depending on what level of player you are. The, the more juniors you had from your club, yeah. obviously the, the, the better it was. And that's what we wanted the clubs to do. Don't go out and, and raid these West End and North and that. Let them players stay there. Like you could buy one, like we had a thing last year, Goodner tried to do it a little bit. And they were going over the points all, all the time. And then um, one of the games there, they, they decided to forfeit because they um, decided to freaking... They weren't happy with the freaking... Mm, I remember that, got, yeah. yeah. And, they got, and they got docked nine points. So. <laughs> uh, it's funny in rugby league. I mean, there's some great systems and ideas, but there's always somebody who'll dislike it. And that's what we're talking about, the development fee, I suppose. Listen, <laughs> Bomber, um, I think we're going to have great chats here on this podcast. Thanks for agreeing. And if... Uh, I can tell you now that the people in England and, and different parts of the world will be, you know, we take it for a gra- a granted in Australia what we do, but there's so many people out there who want to know what we do. So thanks for helping painting that picture. And uh, if you are in the league's club, don't sink too many schooners, will you? Um, well, I'm on um, trying to lose a bit of weight. So I'm, on the <laughs> ring, I'm on the Coke Zero, but no, happy to always help out. Rugby league's been a part of my well, my whole life, so it's the greatest game of all. So happy to help out. Give me a ring whenever you need some information, and happy to help. We'll see you in a fortnight. Take care, Bomber. All right, thank you. See you, Lee. Another group of people doing the hard yards in rugby league, and therefore perfect for discussion on the Hard Yards Rugby League podcast are the women and girls, players, officials, and teams all around the world. I'm on the line here with Kim Dreyer. Kim is a female rugby league player in Queensland at the Redlands Rugby League Football Club. She plays prop. She's also the South East Queensland Junior Academy coach with Win and Manly. So she's she's got a good pedigree in the game. Welcome, welcome Kim. Welcome to the Hard Yards Rugby League podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Lee. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you are welcome. Um, one of the reasons I invited you, Kim, is that I've had a little bit of a whiff of a story surrounding. The, the, the girls and women's game. Um, I think it's just in Queensland, but you might be able to enlighten me and the listeners. Um, if it's the story about uh, how our, some of our junior players uh, not, haven't been given permission to play up in an open women's competition, you'd be spot on. Well, I should be a clairvoyant because that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. So um, if, you can, if you can enlighten us, just bear in mind that some of the listeners are from England, some yep. are from New Zealand and the like. So some of the terminologies or some of the clubs you might not be familiar with. So we'll just go through it step by step and, and we'll get our facts right and see where we end up. No worries. Oh, where do I start? So um, I'm currently involved in southeast Queensland. Um, in Australia, um, this ruling only affects the southeast Queensland okay. of Australia. It doesn't affect any other state that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, what we've incurred this season, and and it has been happening for a number of seasons now, is we've got junior girls, uh, 17, 18, who obviously have great ability and skill and development, and have made rep teams that are 
now being knocked back in playing in an open women's competition. Well, if I can just paint a bit more of the picture there. Yep. We, we're talking about some of the best um, girls in Queensland are living in the southeast Queensland region and maybe even in the country, aren't we? We're talking about yes. We're talking about young ladies who are getting picked up by NRL clubs. So um, yep. we, we are talking top talent. And they're being, stopped, they're being told they can't play a senior level is what you're yes saying. that's correct so what what the ruling is which has changed this year mm. is that a, a girl must turn 18 before she can play in a senior open uh, women's competition okay which is interesting because that differs from that of the boys as we know that there's a large number of boys that are 16 17 18 or playing in an open men's competition and you're aware of some boys that do that of course oh uh, yeah we've got um boys that we know have trialed with the brisbane broncos for example in the nrl yep. so Yes. Um, Have you been yeah. given any reasons as to why there's this discrepancy? Um, I know a number of clubs and I know myself has emailed um, one of the head QRL officials to get yep. some form of feedback in relation to it. And yep. we just end up hitting our heads against the brick wall. We don't get any feedback in back in relation to that. So you're, you're saying to me you've got proof that boys have yep. a different rule and are... Or they're ignoring the rules. So you've got you've got proof that there's a different rule for the boys and different rule for the girls is what you're saying. Clearly there is, even yeah. though the BRO, which is the Brisbane Rugby League Operations Manual, clearly stipulates that there isn't a gender um, discrepancy in the rules. The rule is one and one for all. Now, if you look at these things by case-by-case case basis, I'm familiar with some of the girls that, that, that we might be talking about who play mm-hmm. rugby league. They are probably yep. very capable of playing up a level. I do know in the past in rugby league in, in New South Wales and Queensland that uh, I used to coach William Hoppelati, for example, yep. Manly, and he was ready to play under 20s when he was about 15. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. But yep. we had to hold him back. But the minute he turned mm. 17, away we went. Um, yep. I think I think the problem herein lies, Kim, um, that, number one, if there is a discrepancy between boys and girls, that is absolutely horrendous. Yes. In in, in um in society now, I mean we're not it's not a hundred years ago. I mean, it's not that long ago in England that women used to have to sit in the in the lounge and only yes. were allowed in the vault and the cricket pavilions and this kind yep. of that, that's, that's not right. the world that's not the world we're in now. No, um, definitely not. Um we're in a world now where equal opportunities should be afforded to both men and women, boys and girls. Um so, number one, if there is a discrepancy there, that, that needs to be called out. What I'm going to ask you to do while you're, mm-hmm. while you're on, on the line is if you can forward to me um, any proof, I, I, will, I will go to town on this podcast. Likewise, um, I will um, try and reach out to the authorities to see what their answer is because that's, you know, anybody who's doing anything remotely related to journalism or any yes. indicator has, has got to look at both sides of the story. But if what you're telling me and others have told me is true, then that is, is absolutely ridiculous. Secondly, yeah. secondly, the other issue is that um, uh, if there is a case not to have gender equality mm-hmm. and to, and to favour the girls in this sense, this is it. Because the girls' game isn't as well populated as the boys' game. No. This could literally be the difference between some girls' teams stepping on the field and some girls' teams, uh, women's teams not stepping on the field. Because yep. obviously, like any area of, of a growing sport, there is not there is not players jumping out from everywhere to play. So um, they're, they're the two issues that spring to mind straight away. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I asked you more questions, Kim, yes. you could come up with a million other issues <laughs> in, and around, in and around the girls' game. What I'm going to ask you to do, 
yep. while you're on the line now. Will you agree to be a regular correspondent for us talking about the women's game? Uh, yes, hundred percent. And will you will you will you confirm or will you agree to sort of make sure that we balance it? Let's make sure we we tell all the positives and and make sure we we sing from the rooftops about the good things that are happening. I find it really refreshing that somebody like you is 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 championing your your cause and doing it articulately and and politely and mm-hmm. professionally you know rather than just ranting and raving that gets us nowhere yes um so if if you agree to be our our, our girls correspondent girls and women's correspondent in Engl- in Australia you've yes. got the job okay thanks. you've got the job um <laughs> can i also ask you to when this podcast comes out please share it everywhere and if any of your friends or colleagues want to get in touch and want to speak and ask questions about it, whatever, then yep. I, I will champion this cause. Because what I can say is that if there is a discrepancy, that is absolutely disgraceful. Yes. But we'll, we'll give benefit of the doubt. Um, can, yes. you tell me, can you tell me what's going on uh, about this? I know you've been talking to one or two media organisations yep. and you told me something yes. about a lawyer. Uh, Yeah, we have a uh, discrimination lawyer who is going to look at what is actually happening at the moment. They've obviously felt that the information we've presented so far is concerning. So um, we're just going to present some further information to the lawyer and um, look at some uh, gender discrimination um, on behalf of the QRL. Are they confident you've got a case or have you not been that Um, far? um, We're up to our second consultation, I believe, on it. So They must be um, interested. They must want your money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that as well but yeah um there is definitely gender discrimination yeah. there um yeah. so okay we just all want right. it eliminated girls just want to play rugby league so of course of course yeah. all right thanks for bringing this to us i've already had a name for the segment too oh um, excellent <laughs> kim dreyer from australia australia i can't say it, my english accent doesn't do it great <laughs> thank you so much kim take care Sorry. and uh, we'll help you with the fight and keep fighting the fight thank you lee appreciate it bye-bye bye Every fortnight on the Heartland edition of the Hard Yard Rugby League podcast, we'll be talking with Steve Peoples, who's a man who's been doing coaching in the Queensland Cup realm for well over the last decade at clubs including Redcliffe Dolphins and East Tigers. The first coaching issue segment that we'll utilise is from the website rugbyleaguecoach.com.au and the segment A Conversation About Coaching. If you want to hear the full episode of this, you need to be a member of rugbyleaguecoach.com.au. But myself, Steve and the host here, Graham Hallett, talk about issues relating to rugby league coaching. Have a listen. Definitely. Now, Lee, maybe just if we could uh, just explain what a coaching, actual coaching session uh, is like for you when you get the, the guys out of the paddock. I've got to be honest, when I've done a training session, I don't know what you're like, Steve, but I'm mentally wrecked after a training session because, to me, it's an event. And again, you know, too many sessions I went to as a player when I was young and too many sessions that I've seen as, a, as an assistant sometimes have just been something that the players have to get through just to tick a box during the week. And I'm not a believer in that at all. I believe that the minute the player arrives and the minute the session starts, the heart rate goes up and everything's conditioning, so... Even if you're doing a ball drill, there's an element of conditioning involved in that. There's no sessions of mine without a ball or without a tackle shield or without defending or playing something in a game. So um, it's all game related. We're not preparing players for the Olympics. Uh, you know. So when I see coaches just making people run around fields, I think to myself, well, 
that'd be alright if they're in the Olympics, but they're not. They're playing rugby league, which goes back to our previous conversation, Steve. Um, and I like to have short uh, interchanges between activity, 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 and I like everything to be competitive. So, uh, to summarise the question, I think one one of the things I make training is more important than games in a way because the games are actually easier for the players because of the intensity that goes into the training in an ideal environment. How does that analysis sit with you, Steve? Yeah, really good. I'll just reiterate on, on Lee's point there is it, it's it's a long gone era I think now where you're just sending players on laps or go around the goalposts or um, there needs to be a purpose behind everything you do, in my opinion. I mean, you, you can't just roll up and then just expect things can, to happen. Can right. I just interrupt, interrupt you for a second, though? In your development roles, how many times have you seen coaches do that, though, still, to this day? Oh, I, I, I still get shocked when I see it, you know? Uh, the players will, will arrive at training and, and the coach will be still setting up his markers. Uh, just go for a run. Yeah, just go yeah, for a yeah, run. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there's so many things that can be done in place of just go for a run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, purpose is, what do you want to get out of your session? Well, as Lee said, if you want to, if it's ball work, if it's, I think there's got to be a lot of competition and there's yeah. got to be progression on everything that you do. If it starts at the very basic level, then you've got to give your players an understanding of what you're trying to achieve out of that yeah. session and then relay it in a way that, okay, this has now become competitive and this is what we are really trying to achieve out of that, that yeah. session. So in all, this is all game related, as you both as you both said. That's your that's really the uh, the guiding light for you. But we've discussed core skills. Uh, but what about some other elements of the game? Uh, defence, tackling. How do you deal with those? Well, I think for me is just about um, I guess assessing the player's skill where you're at, and depending what age group you're coaching. Uh, my big thing. It's obviously junior development, but I need to assess where, where a team's at. Obviously, if I'm going out to do an under-8 session, I'm certainly going to not cater my session as I would to an under-16 session. Mm -hmm. So adding elements in of, of ruck speed and, and peel and marker and everything, it, it, that in itself could be a, a whole conversation we could have. So I guess to answer your question, firstly, it's assessment of skill. We're taking into account uh, you know, the league safe rule, the tackle safe rule, as to contact zones, um, safety of the player. There's, there's all sorts of things that come to mind when I think about defence, but I, I, the general principles of what we're trying to achieve is obviously head in a safe position, make a tackle, contact's good, fall to the ground safely. If, if that's my overall aim, I think that that's where I would start as a base, certainly. Now, what about this aspect of wrestle in the tackle? What's your opinion on that, Lee? I mean, we want to stop, as in defence, you want to stop the you want to stop the opposition's play. You want to bring it to a halt. Yeah. Where does wrestle fit in there? Well, to me, I think the game is too has too much emphasis on wrestle and not enough emphasis on the hit. So I'm all about defence and tackle technique, and my training sessions are basically 50-50. So in a given week, they'll do 50% defence, 50% offence. If it's not, if it's 70-30 that week, I'll make sure it's 30-70 the week after to even that up. So I put a massive emphasis on, on, on defence. Um, I'm a big believer that the hit comes first before the wrestle. The better the hit, the better the chance of the wrestle. Um, there's a stigma attached to wrestle, but unfortunately because of the rules surrounding the game, wrestling will continue. Um, when I first came to Australia from England, I could not believe 
how much was allowed around the rook in terms of wrestling. It's an Australian problem more than anything because I remember thinking it was like WrestleMania when I first arrived and not much has changed really. I was going to say to you, do you, do you feel watching the English Super League now that the ruck is still, the game's a lot faster? A hundred percent and I just think it's not quite in their psyche because the referees are onto it quicker. Yeah. I, I think in England, and I've been studying St Helens for the, for the site, if St Helens were a bit tighter in defence and did proper collisions rather than these chesty collisions that where they get knocked back and when you get knocked back you end up having to sort of wrestle because you're trying to rescue yourself yeah. if they actually made a bit more of an emphasis on you know balls to this I'm going to whack you mate they would actually knock seven bells a you know what out of the player that's running at them and then be able to control them because in England the minute you're on the floor you've got to get off again yeah. um, over here you've got all sorts of latitude and until the game over here addresses that we're always going to have wrestle and on, you know on if we're not careful we're going to end up with leotards and knee pads and entrance music because until the game recognises that that it has got a I wouldn't say a problem it's just part of the game now but no but it, but it opens up a really big conversation I mean about defence I mean there's certain ways that you can do everything in the game but you think about all the elements that we can bring into it like you know catch hold drag yeah. or under the footy yeah. over the footy 100% yeah. well, I mean yeah, so what's, what's the right way and what's the wrong yeah, way? So I've been looking, like I said, I've been looking at St. Helens lately, and, and when we're doing our live shows and stuff, you'll hear me talk a lot about the collisions aren't great, the collisions aren't great, and that's because I'm essentially an under the ball man. Mm. So in my head, go under the ball. So when I see over the ball, I see players get knocked back. Once I see a player get knocked back, to me they're in damage control mode, right? So if you go into a tackle and you're, all you're thinking is wrestle, 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 control, control, control you're not going to hit very well and if you go into a tackle to just control it you're actually going to lose some momentum so you're going to be on the back foot anyway and I think that's part of the problem I think the game needs to go back on both in both hemispheres to actually tackling again rather than wrestling and then the, the wrestle will just sort of naturally happen if that makes sense so let's just say for instance we're watching the Melbourne Storm yeah. on a Sunday yeah. what makes them that much better at that element of the game like they, they've perfected the art of being able to contact, wrestle, go to ground is there a reason why they're a team that can do that so much better than in my opinion, everybody else in my opinion their defensive spacings are more consistent than a lot of the other teams their collisions are a lot more consistent with the other teams than the other team, sorry. And if your collision's good, the chances of everything else after it being good increase significantly. Yeah. Their line tends to stay at a line in the right places. If they turn up and in, if they rush in, they rush in together, they don't just do it willy-nilly on their own. So everything's a consequence of everything else. So if the collision's good, the spacings are good, then the control will be good to wrestle. The other thing is, they obviously put a massive emphasis on it, and the quality of the repetition they do at Melbourne, as you know from your time at East, they don't take shortcuts at Melbourne. They have the they inherit quality people, or they recruit quality people on their staff, on their playing staff, and basically they don't take any shit. So um, no shortcuts are taken, and I think those two things. So the the, the things I told you about the defensive structure, and then that emphasis on what they do in training, are the reason Melbourne are so, so much better. So we've probably got a bit off track there, but, that, but it just it really does open up a, yeah, a, a massive conversation piece or, or yeah. point to because everyone I think 
you could ask me what my philosophy is in just core skill of defence, and, and I'm sure that it would differ. Well, leagues. what would you do if you were coaching a team now? I mean, how would you how would you approach it? Well, like, like I said, I, I I'm probably I probably am like you. I am under the football. Yeah. I, I just think good first contact under the football because yeah. on on the other side of that, we're teaching players to get bumpers up, bump off, which brings back to the point of view they're on the back foot on that collision if he's got a good bumper. So. Yeah. I'm making sure body position's good, we're under the footy, we're good first contact with the shoulder and we're driving through our target. That would be the way that I would explain it to a player is that we're driving through a target, we're not just there to make yeah. a stop. Yeah. That yeah. Was how, yeah. That's probably how I would still approach it now, yeah. is, mm. is we've got to be committed. Probably yeah. a good word in defence yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. committed. You've got to care. <laughs> it, it amazes me how, how many players in the NRL literally cannot defend. I won't name the names, we all know who they are. And there's others that don't get mentioned that, that are just as bad too. And that's because, as a as a rule, the game tends to, a little bit, just put defence on the back burner. So the amount of teams I've coached against where you can tell the defence hasn't been coached, it's almost like just sort of standing in line and stop people if they're yeah. in your way, you know? On the Heartland edition of this podcast, Steve will either be on the line like the other guests or we'll use some of the grabs from these interviews that have already been on rugbyleaguecoach.com.au. Um, as you can tell he's going to be a great contributor, he has plenty to talk about the game of rugby league and plenty of experience. I hope you've enjoyed our interviewees, we've had Mike Wood from Auckland talking about the game in New Zealand in general, we've had Kim from the girls game in, in Queensland and the issues around there and we also had Anthony Bomber Breeze talking about the game in Australia. Next time on the Heartland Rugby League podcast, we'll have our UK correspondent. Um, we couldn't get them on the line this weekend, but uh, we've definitely had somebody commit, so that's good. If any of these issues that have come up in the podcast are impacting you, those who are involved in the hard yards of Rugby League, please get in touch. Admin at rugbyleaguecoach.com.au is the email. Our Instagram and Facebook pages are simply at rugbyleaguecoach. Uh, you can get us through the website rugbyleaguecoach.com.au we'll see you next week for the Emerging Nations version of the Hard Yard Rugby League Podcast those of you doing the Hard Yards keep doing what you're doing you're doing a great job